0: It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: All right, so you and I have spent a lot of time together, and I guess we've kind of discussed this stuff very in a very limited scale, but what was it like growing up? for you in the Sharif household, and what were you like growing up as a kid?
0: <laughs> um, I had a very fortunate childhood. Uh, I, I didn't, me and my brother didn't uh, want for anything. My my dad w- uh, is still, at 83 years old, a, a cardiologist. Uh, my mom is a social worker, so, you know, we were pretty spoiled, uh, both of us, in terms of just Wanting and getting whatever we wanted. Uh, me and my brother, extremely, extremely competitive. Even, even to this day, I'd imagine if it was like uh, have you know having you as a little brother, like you, we could still get in a fist fight here and there. We could still you know wrestle and take it over the edge. It's still a good idea for us not to play games against one another. You know, there's a smashed lamp, lampshade from a Madden video game. We'd come home and. Uh, my mom would hide and get rid of the ping pong paddles, or we weren't allowed to go play basketball in the back because we just couldn't play uh, with one another without a breaking into an all out war. So I had a fantastic childhood and I had a little brother who was uh, always trying to beat me for the first time in, in all the different sports.
1: Well, and So I asked about the childhood, not just as like a throwaway question, but one of the things that stands out the most about you and I, I certainly know this. I think that your listeners uh, ha- have picked up on this, but it- it's that competitiveness. and so I guess I'm curious where that comes from. Does it come from your yeah. brother Yusuf or did yeah. you get it from your parents? like wh- where did that really
0: develop? Uh, that's a really good question. you know i I think you either ha- you you have it or you, or you don't, you know like my dad isn't from this country. My dad doesn't know anything about football. He knows about, you know, cricket. I'm not making a racial joke here, but it's true. He knows about cricket, and he would watch basketball with us. Like, the only sport I would watch with my dad, like, we would – he'd send me into the movie store to get – back then it was like WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble on VHS, and it came out like weeks or months later, and we'd watch that, me, him, and my brother, or we'd watch the NBA Finals. And I I really attribute it to – Watching do- sports documentaries. Do you remember the 30 for 30s? Like, I grew up on those sports documentaries on ESPN Classic and, you know, seeing the Michael Jordan stories and, and, and obviously now with Kobe Bryant or Jerry West. And I just wanted to focus, like, on how those guys – I don't care what it is, and I think, you know, it's it's kind of why, you know, a major reason that you and I get along and you're doing this series. I'm very interested in knowing – what makes like geniuses tick. Like I don't care what field it is. You know that me and you, if we're out to dinner, I know I ask the most questions of anyone and I'm not doing it to be fake or that throwaway question that you reference. I want to know what makes these people brilliant and really, really successful. Uh, And I want to be at the top of my field. And and I guess if I was going to, you know, uh, attribute it to one parent, I'd probably say my dad, like my dad, is a tireless worker. Like he cannot be home, he grinds. I've caught him up with different medical things that are not in his field of cardiology or, or heart disease, and he'll just study on it and grind. Like my my parents are both grinders, and then I think the competitive thing in terms of wanting to win is just either in you or it's not. So I would say you know both my parents with the work ethic, and then. Watching Michael Jordan and and Muhammad Ali and all these different stories of the greats and like this insatiable desire to be the best and this obsession that Jerry West had or MJ had and uh, and then I you know I took a lot of my competitiveness and all that stuff from watching the you know documentaries and stories of my favorite athletes and sports people.
1: All right, I got a lot of questions that that come from this. The first though, so you and I have a lot in common. You referenced that one of the things we have in common is that are we have family members not from this country. Uh yeah. you with your dad, my I'm the only one in my family born here. Uh now my dad, who's from South Africa, grew up playing sports. And so I, mm-hmm. I kind of grew up in a sports household. Did your dad grow up playing sports, even though it wasn't here in this country? Did he did he have like a big love for sports?
0: Nope. No love for sports. Uh, I mean, my dad isn't particularly coordinated. I think he'd kick around the soccer ball a little bit, and he might play a little bit of cricket, and and that is it. For me, it was my mom. Like the first sport I played, she just said get in the car and and we went and went to a little league tryout, and that was like my first experience with like t ball. And my mom is the one that would throw to me in the backyard or my mom would go to the tennis court with me. And my dad is always working, you know, he, he'd get home at seven or 8 PM and it would be my mom that is sitting there practicing the sports or playing horse with me. Like I can sit there and impersonate all my mom's uh, different techniques on, on a court or on a field or throwing the football with me. So my mom was kind of like the sports dad. So no, my dad has zero sports experience in terms of playing it none i didn't even i didn't even real quick have I, I grew up without cable so like in terms of loving sports my buddy jake who you've met we've gone out to lunch with uh i i live in the, my parents live in the country so we didn't have like cable television i'm talking espn tbs tnt i had a regular you know bunny bunny ear uh channel. so when there was a game that i was obsessed with he would sit there and, and hold the phone up uh, to the TV, and that's how I'd follow along with the biggest games. But zero, zero sports influence from my dad. It was my mom who I was playing all the games with.
1: Okay, sports aside, just in general, what was it like for you growing up with, in this case, your dad being from another world, essentially, in a different culture and, and uh, getting that, that side of things?
0: Very disciplined. Uh, my dad, you know, I always remember him preaching like, culture and manners and conduct yourself in this type of way. And, you know, like when I, when my brother and I would walk into the house, the the first rule was go wash your feet. So like, if you come over to my house now, it always, it drives me insane. And it always amazes me how people put their shoes on their couch or how they put their shoes on their bed like even on TV I'll be watching and these people are putting their shoes on their bed or when someone comes to my house and they put their shoes like on the chase or whatever the middle thing is in the middle of the living room by the couch, I'm like, i stare at it until they get the message. Like take your shoes off. So my dad was wash your feet. You've been dirty all day. He would teach me, uh, he's the manners at the table, you know, uh, on how to etiquette school he went to. So with the spoon, make sure you're eating soup going outwards. Don't sit there and slurp it towards you. Proper English, proper grammar, uh, how to respect your elders. It doesn't matter with my dad if he says that the freaking sky is orange. You have to say it's orange uh, because he's older than you, and older people know more. So my dad is very, very big in terms of you know, conducting yourself properly, having manners, act like you know, you've been raised the right way. And uh, and 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 he's very big on morals and ethics. You know, like he's a physician, and he'll 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 always bend the rules for the patient. You know, uh, he believes in doing the right thing. Uh, you sent me a text the other day, and I get myself in trouble at work. You sent me a text saying, "Yeah, you know, I respect how sometimes you put your neck on the line to maybe get in trouble." And I think that's because of my mom and dad, because they always preach doing. Uh, the right thing all the time, as corny as it sounds
1: well that 's something we 're going to get into in a little bit but for for people uh who don 't know your dad is from
0: he 's from india my my dad's side of the family split up in India and and Pakistan
1: got it, and your mom yep. is american
0: yep she 's straight she 's straight american she 's got a lot of German uh in her family tree, but she was born and raised in Maryland, and she is not left
1: <laughs> okay uh, uh-huh. and so your dad's in medicine. Did you ever want to get into medicine, or from an early age, were you pretty set on doing what you're doing now?
0: Yeah, not medicine. I always knew, like, I know I'm not very book smart. Now, I didn't try as hard as I could, but I knew I knew I wasn't very uh, book smart, and I give my dad a lot of credit. Like, in those types of families, the stereotype and, and it is always – Well you gotta grow up and be a doctor, you gotta grow up and be a physician, you gotta grow up and be an attorney, right? Uh and he never pressured me, man. I know it kinda broke his heart a little bit that my brother and I uh were not next in line to take over his practice. My my brother is an attorney, so one of us put the stereotype, but I never thought about getting into medicine. I knew I was not smart enough. I hated school, so I didn't want to do extra schooling. So I think they knew I was gonna do something sports related because I just I never left the couch with any games on my, we he had a rule one day a week. You can watch TV one night a week. That's all you get. Cause you know, it was just garbage on TV garbage. So I'd save it for Monday night football. So I think they knew for a long time that it was going to be sports and they never gave me a hard time about it, which I really, I do appreciate that because that, that can be pretty rare.
1: All right. So a second ago, you mentioned uh, speaking your mind and stuff. And, and I think that is another defining characteristic of yours uh, you'll stand up for what you believe in, uh, and I think that that permeates uh, from just daily life to your show. Not that you're necessarily using that platform to uh, constantly go out of your way to, uh, you know, have a, a social impact when it doesn't exist by any means. But like, I, I think your your listeners again would probably not peg you as someone who's going to just tuck your tail between your legs and walk away. I think, you know, in, in a good way, uh you are opinionated. You will you will say what you believe and you don't mind disagreeing with people. Where did that all come from? I know you mentioned your mom, but was that was that something you also always had or was that something that kind of developed somewhere along the the line of your journey to where you are now?
0: I mean, I think that's I think that's your parents, you know, like I would probably be voted as the biggest pain in the ass in the building when it comes to uh, being an employee. Uh, I think my bosses no I'm coming from the right spot, but if you said, guess who is raising a stink about this or guess who has a problem with this policy or guess who thinks this isn't fair. I know that they probably have my name <laughs> come out of their mouth. Um, uh, but, but you know, my mom being a social worker is a huge thing with that. Like my mom goes into homes every day and she has a tremendous amount of compassion. She's a saint. She's an angel. Um, she, I always tell her she's going to heaven, you know, on an escalator uh, for just doing the right thing. She just thinks that if you have a lot, that you, you have an obligation, you have to share it. And my dad um, cares about people's health. You know, he doesn't care if you don't have the insurance payment. He doesn't care if you can't afford it. He doesn't care if he has to skirt the system. He um, was a pain in the ass for all the hospitals he worked for. You know, he's been fired from jobs because he said, yeah, I'll take the job, but you have to hire my friend. Um, He liked to pick fights. You know, he liked to get into arguments. So my mom doing the right thing from a compassion, kind, warm standpoint as a social worker. And my dad just saying, look, it doesn't matter if these are the rules and these are the regulations and this is the system. I'm not going along with it. And even if I do go along with it, you're going to hear from me and you're going to know that I have a problem with it. And it, there's, there's a way, not just to be a pain in the ass, I don't ever try to, like, I don't want to argue just for the sake of arguing, you know. I just think if something's not fair, something needs to be done, then people need to know that you're not just going to lay down and take it all the time. And, and a lot of that, like, I have a lot of friends who they're like, oh, man, I you know, I just can't speak up. I can't, I can't say the same thing sometimes that you do. All that is luck in terms of the environment and the situation I came from. Like if if I can say something sometimes or take stances because I don't have to worry about my next check necessarily. You know, it goes back to growing up very, very lucky uh, in a family who is pretty well off. So I don't always have to worry about that safety net not being there underneath. And that allows you to be, a little more, you know, risky and a little more outspoken. So I got to credit my parents for that because I understand people having to make choices based upon, you know, that next paycheck and job status. But I've always been able to go out a little bit more on a limb, I think, because um, I I have that safety net of of what my parents uh, accomplished themselves.
1: And I'll also say this too. I mean, you and I, We'll butt heads. Uh, I know I bug the crap out of you kind of like a little brother, and you <laughs> sort of mentioned that earlier. But I also know of anyone in this building, if I need something, you're going to be the first person in line to to fight for me. And I, I think that's the case for, for a lot of us, that you will be the first person to kind of get out in the front line and, and fight for someone. Uh, so before we, we kind of move away from this, I don't want people uh, – I don't want people to to move on in their mind without hearing that from me. But I, I, you know, we could go on and on with, with what makes you tick for an hour. uh, But I want to get onto some other stuff. So you go to American university. uh, So Mm -hmm. you stay, you know, pretty close to home for school. And I guess, was that, was that your first exposure to doing broadcasting in any format or had you done stuff when you were in high school?
0: High school, I interned for the local radio station. So, the local radio station in my town uh, was like a four-station cluster in this little small building. They did country, oldies, uh, news, talk, and uh, like FM pop hits. So uh, that was the first—that uh, was the first radio experience of uh, interning at that radio station in high school.
1: Okay, so I know it's it's different for everyone. Some people go to college and they don't ever do anything that they. Uh, set out to do from their time at yeah. college or whatever, but, but what was ha- how was your college experience uh, impactful to what you're doing
0: right now? Man, my mom hates this answer, and again, a, part, part of the blame is on me because of my I didn't try as hard and I was in a fraternity and, and failing out of classes and, and, and drinking away days and weeks and all that, my own stupidity. But man, I can't. I can't really recall anything um, from college. To me, college, at least for me, was a was a maturation experience. You know, how am I going to work? Uh, how am I going to party? How am I going to conduct myself with all this freedom? <laughs> I can't remember one thing from a broadcast journalism class. I think uh, journalism ethics was my favorite class with, with a Dr. Watson. But I interned at the sports Michael, uh, the sports Michael, the George Michael Sports Machine. George Michael Sports Machine was like Sports Center before Sports Center. And you interned there? It. Yeah, I interned there for him, and that's what I I remember that experience the most in terms of charting games and just watching the personalities, how it works behind the scenes, from production to the way the set is set up. So I would say more. I, I can definitely remember more from uh, that that NBC for George Michael internship than. Anything when it comes to college and 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 broadcast journalism, which is what I majored in.
1: All right, so you're helping me with this segue because that was the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, people older than than us certainly know who George Michael is. People our age range may or may not. Certainly, people younger than uh, younger than me have no clue who George Michael is. Uh, but he's as you mentioned, he was like a big deal, and and he passed away about a decade ago. But uh, how, how did you land that internship? That's a pretty big deal. I mean, I guess like a, a comparison, you made the Sports Center uh, comparison, but that's like someone in college or you know a young person interning for like Stuart Scott or Dan Patrick. I mean, like he was a big big deal. So how did you get that, and, and what was that experience like?
0: Uh, being able to to be around that environment. I got it, I believe through. Cool. I, I remember the guy who helped me out with Adam Apirian was a good uh, was, was a guy I looked up to in college. But I can't remember if he connected me to it or uh, it was just being offered up through our communications program. I think it was the communications program. George wasn't as big then because obviously SportsCenter had been out for a while. Now I went to college from '99 to 03, so obviously you know uh, there were there were a lot more sports outlets um, that were there for you to consume your news. Um, and it wasn't a mind-blowing experience, you know. I was probably a little bit disappointed. I saw some of George's uh, personality and the, and the ego behind the scenes. And you basically went in and you learn how to chart games. So you sit there and you write down a timestamp. You know, ten twenty three thirteen. Uh, Adrian Beltre with the with the crazy highlight play. You're basically creating highlight packages that go into the sports reel. So I'm picking out the four or five best plays of the game. You're charting every single player. Actually, the highlight the, the highlight plays. Because first I was interested in play-by-play. So I'm sitting there trying to practice the play-by-play to myself as I'm looking at all these games on a wall of monitors, which was really, really cool. But you're basically taking notes on the best plays, handing them over to a producer and someone way above you, and then they review the three or four plays, and does that make it into the broadcast? And then... Um, you go in and watch the taping and this would be late uh this would be late, late, late in an unconvenient time and George just loved having an audience. So I just tried to go as often as I could to sit there and have George uh see my face and you sat there and watched him on his Rinky Dink set, which it looked awesome on T V. But <laughs> you saw, you know, him hitting these cardboard boxes of the play and the rewind and You watch a guy perform in front of the camera, and um, that's the way that went. It wasn't a mind-blowing internship. At the same time, I would drive weekends back to my hometown and do a TV internship at my local station. So I'd drive two hours. I'd get done with my classes on Friday, and I would drive two hours to Salisbury, Maryland. Salisbury is probably like 40, 45 minutes past my hometown. Uh, Salisbury University, legendary D3 Seagull program. About forty minutes from Ocean City, Maryland, and I would intern there doing TV uh, for the weekends, and that's where I got that's where I got really great hands-on work. You got to carry the camera out to every single event. You got to chart. You got to learn how to edit. You got to you get to go on air. Uh, so that that was really the the best college experience for me. About two hours away near my hometown.
1: All right, so, and and I'm sure I might be skipping stuff along the way, but you mentioned play-by-play. So you spent some time broadcasting uh, in the CBA? I don't think you and I have ever talked about this.
0: No, CBA, the Rockford Lightning, uh, the Continental Basketball Association. So, like, again, uh, I, I love the NBA. Like, you know, if I could be Marv Albert or Bob Costas, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't love baseball as much as i did basketball so i'm like i want to do nba play by play so i graduated and i sent out my my resume i didn't have a resume tape for play by play but my resume to every single cba team every single minor league team baseball basketball did not matter but can i you a question did you not yeah.
1: were, were the opportunities not there at american for you to broadcast like American sporting events on like the student station because I know every school is very different mm-hmm. in like what opportunities exist and don't exist. Right,
0: but this is where I was lazy and dumb. Like I didn't say, "Hey, let me go be the." Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't apply myself to go be the play-by-play voice of Americans basketball team. We had Jeff Jones there who coached at Virginia, Yeah. Um, and you know we had a we have a D one sports program. Even though there is no football, so I definitely. Definitely should have tried to do that more. But I was pledging, and I was worried about having fun, <laughs> and I was, you know, drunk in classes, and I'm like, I'm not going to do all this stuff. So that's why I screwed up in not having a resume tape. But the CBA, Rockford Lightning, Isaiah Thomas used to run this team, be part of the league, um, and they're like, you can come here. Uh, you got to work nine to five in our sales office. That will be the money you make off commission, or however many season tickets you sell. And then we'll set you up with a roommate, and you can be the color analyst. I wasn't even the play-by-play guy; I was a color analyst. So I'm as qualified as Fisher was for your for your broadcast, the <laughs> legend. Uh, so yeah, I was a color analyst for the Rockford Lightning for one year. Worst town I've ever lived in, um, and I fought tooth and nail with the coach, who was also the you know GM all the time. So I went back home in the off season, and I, I never left after that.
1: All right. So again, I mentioned we're going to be skipping ahead, but you, you, prior to coming to the Metroplex, you were in Kansas City and had a lot of success uh, in Kansas City. Uh, one of the things I want to ask you, because because I experienced this when I lived in Michigan and, and I had to do a, a talk show. What are some of the challenges of being a sports talk show host and personality? in a city in which you are clearly not from, and, and, and not only do the listeners know that, but you also maybe when you get there, at least don't totally understand all of the sports history uh, that goes into being a fan in that city.
0: Yeah. Huge, huge, huge problem. You know, um, And now I understand why, you know, before I was like, why doesn't this boss want to hire me? Or why can't I get into this market? And why this? Well, I know I'm better than this person. And, you know, that's probably the thing I would probably say is my, you know, my biggest achievement personally and with RJ is having the success in DFW that we've had given our backgrounds. You know, we're both from the East Coast, Um, the Ticket, Here's established kind of more chill, easy listening radio. We're loud, boisterous, kind of in your face. We like to argue and debate. A lot of people frown upon that, and look down. Um, and then, you know, I grew up in, D- I-, I grew up in Maryland and in- in- DC and I was a Redskins fan. And that's probably the biggest mistake I made in coming here. Now I give credit. Bruce Gilbert hired me. Uh, and, and, and Bruce is thought of as, you know, one of the Michael Jordans of, of, of programming. And he said, you know, the best advice we all get, right? Be yourself. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to be honest. And if it irritates some people, then, you know, the whole, the the old Howard Stern line of, you know, people will listen if they love you and the other half will listen if they hate you. So I'm just going to be honest about it and, you know, get under some people's skin. And, and, and with my honesty, I wasn't doing an act or a bit. And that, that definitely was a mistake, you know, because you're <laughs> going to lose some fans that are never, ever going to come back. But in Kansas City, it was a little bit easier um, because I'm not, I'm not going in as a fan of any of the rival teams. You know, I'm not going in as a Denver Broncos fan. Uh, who also loves the Kansas City Royals rival. So uh, I tried my hardest to sit there and learn about all the teams, respect the history, go out to the to Kauffman Stadium for every game that I could, go out to Arrowhead, um, go to Lawrence, which I did for you know Jayhawks uh, uh, Jayhawks Missouri games. So it's really really tough, man. It's really really challenging, and and that's why I'm really really appreciative of of of, of the listeners we have in DFW, like not not totally shutting us off and giving us a chance because Texas is a very stubborn place. You know, it's a very provincial market. Um, But I think people respect that I'm going to be honest and I don't want to see the Cowboys do badly. That's why I'm always honest in terms of saying I want the Cowboys to go undefeated every year and win the Super Bowl every year, along with the Mavericks, Stars and Rangers, because that creates a sports ratings bonanza. I always care about my career over my my favorite teams. You know, I always say I root for I root for ratings. I don't root for any teams anymore outside of DFW because that's best for business and that's best for the wallet and the paycheck and the ratings, but coming in and and overcoming that non-local label, that's I mean, it's a humongous challenge.
1: That was like I I think back when I first started in Michigan and and you know this about me, I'm I'm a sports junkie, so it was yeah. not an issue at all for me to know about the present day Red Wings and Lions and uh Tigers and Pistons and, and even recent history, but it was more like you know, every sports team's fan base has those moments like you sure. say a player's name and they know exactly what you're talking about, that if you're not if you're not from that city and if you didn't if you didn't really grow up a fan of that team, like it, it's tough to know, but you don't yeah. want to also get caught with your pants down, and it's like it's not your fault that you grew up in Maryland, and now you're covering the Chiefs, but like you, you better know about this, that, and and that, and that yeah. to me was like that was so tough, and and it was also, uh, I, I, I think like I, I'm I'm I'm
0: with you in like. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think like every- it wasn't it, it's a, it's, it, for me and you, it's never going to be a problem to learn it. Okay. I, right. I never went in. I never went into Kansas, um, Kansas city and said, Oh man, I'm going to have to learn about Derek Thomas on uh, Neil Smith. I never said, Oh, I'm going to have to learn about Paul Pierce and what's bill self doing now. The, the challenge, at least for me is localizing it as the memory. Right. So now I can say, 2011, where was I I was at the Fan Sports Lounge by the Double Right, uh, I was I was on Greenville Avenue when the Cowboys beat Seattle. You know, I uh, I wanted to sit there and, and, and go to Waterburger because I was partying till three o'clock in the morning. That localizes you. That that that, that puts you you know in the in that that that, that puts you um, in someone's backyard. You know, where I was in Denton. I was in Mesquite. I was in Garland. That's very hard to do when you when you move somewhere and you have no idea what the freak is uptown, and you have no idea that Fort Worth isn't five minutes from Dallas because it's DFW. Those are the things that you are you cannot be prepared for.
1: What? How did you? Does that make sense. No. A- oh, absolutely. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I live that as well. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. How did you? As a sports talk show host, uh, how, what when do you remember being really comfortable with your style? Because like I, I think like whether it's play by play, I'm sure anchoring sports talk. As it, as much as you go out there with the idea of being you, you still have to figure out like what works. And yeah. I guess it's also tough when you've got co-host because you've now you can't do it in a vacuum you've got to also consider what works for them so that it works for both of y'all but but when did you like was there a moment or was there a period of time where you're like i'm really starting to get this i might i don't have all the answers but i'm now sort of starting to make progress and i'm i'm having a way better understanding of how to do this
0: yeah that's a really good question for me uh it's twofold one i was never i I only hosted a solo show uh here like so so for five years in my hometown and then for one year in Kansas City before i left i was i was just used to a solo show so like I think when I went to Kansas city you know you always have you know you always have confidence, but you know I was scared of okay this is this is major radio now you know i'm not i knew that there was you know, there was 150 people listening in my hometown. There's 10,000 people. Maybe there's 100 people listening. Maybe. And I can screw up here, and I can sit here and talk about the, you know, I I still remember talking about field hockey recaps and and, and lacrosse scores from every local high school and calling Little League games on a Friday. That's what I was doing on my Friday and Saturday nights. I was at the Little League Park, you know, after graduating college. And there's no... No one's gonna ding me for messing, you know, m- messing up what happened in the bottom of the fifth inning with with with, with an eight year old. But now Kansas City, you know, we're, we're dealing with the Chiefs and Jayhawks and Royals and big time programs. And after I got rating success and like really accepted in Kansas City in my short time there, um, I was really really confident. And then I came to Dallas, and I think the guys would all tell you that um, it was really. Almost, you know, I made it almost impossible to have a successful show the way that we have one now. I was, I, my mentality was, I know more than all these guys. I work harder. I want it more. I've never been unsuccessful. So I'm going to come in here, and I basically did, like, my solo show, and then would call on RJ to, like, chime in. Or I would call on Troy, like, okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to get on my podium. I'm going to host my show. I'm going to do things my way. And then you are going to be the side dishes. And it wasn't until probably even like four four years ago where I was like, this needs to not be podium radio. Uh, it's got to be more conversational. Because in my mind, Jared, I was always making a resume tape, you know. And, and, and a resume tape is me going on a three- or four-minute rant, and having the passion and saying something really strong that I, that I did believe I'm not being fake, but it was me, you know, that that's the way my entire career was. And then four or five years ago, you know, a light click for me of, okay, I can loosen up a little bit. You know, I can still be the guy, you know, I always wanted to be MJ and not Pippen. I can still be the guy and the leader um, while, while making these guys better, but embarrassingly, you know, as, as embarrassing it is to admit that didn't happen until four or five years ago. Cause I was used to just a solo show and it was like me and a couple of assistants. And, and that's not the way the best shows sound. I don't think.
1: Well, and that's cool for me to hear because that's about the time when you and I really started not, not met, but although we, we only met probably a year prior to that, but really started to develop our relationship. And I would hear, we'd have these conversations about your show and, and this and that and so i wanted to ask like what what the biggest adjustment you had to make was you you kind of uh you kind of just touched on it
0: but uh you and RJ and, and the other, the other the other adjustment was this real quick yeah so our 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 strategy right when we when we started our show the ticket is doing more guy talk laid back radio 1033 is still has a national sports feel to it so we all looked at this and said there's the opening in the market. Like let's just go all local sports. Let's just go all local sports. Well how is, how is one of the other two stations not just doing that 24/7? So because I took that like a little bit too serious. My my biggest mistake is what was not being loose enough. You know, I was all sports and we're not doing guy talks and we're not cracking a lot of jokes. We're doing thought-provoking intriguing different sports radio on the local teams that I put in my mind is the formula that's what the bo- the, the boss wants that's the game plan and he, I know you know and, and he would probably tell you he wanted me to loosen up a little bit but I was just like a real sergeant with the game plan and then Gavin Spittle came in and he really talked me into loosening up and he's like show us a little bit more of the personality and you can do sports or 80% sports and 20%, you know, I needed to improve my likability. You know, I needed to let people know how much I love barbecuing. I needed to let people know that I have small hands, that you can make, you know, uh, brown skin jokes towards me, and that I, I can't do anything around the house or what my personal life is or fighting with my brother nonstop. And I was guilty of not allowing any of that in the first four or five years of the show. And then that kind of transition when Spittle was like, Hey, let's try to go a little 80, 20 here. Um, and then finally I, I backed off the gas a little bit.
1: Okay. So it's easy to say that. And it's easy. Like, I, I think one of your great uh, skills is your awareness, but like it's, it's easy to say like, I need to do this, this, and that. How did you actually go about doing it? Cause I know you don't just go home and sit on your ass, and then you show up and, and, you know, do the show the next day. I know you think about the show a lot and think about how to do this and how to do that. So if you, can you remember back then, like, what, what were the things you were doing to get you from what you
0: knew you needed to do to actually doing it? Well, I would sit here. So, like, if I look at my show sheet right now, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a sheet of blocks, and there's, there's 18 blocks. So I would sit here and say, okay, at 6 a.m., we're going to go sports. At 6.20, we're going to go sports. And then in, that, in, in one of those blocks, we're going to go lighthearted. So let's, let's try out of the four segments we have to do a lighthearted segment that the guys want to talk. I mean, RJ and Troy were dying to do this, right? Like I know, I mean, that you don't even have to hook them up to a lie detector. They, were, they would view me out sick or out for a vacation as, as as a vacation for themselves like because they grew up on this guy talk radio here you know RJ's been here for for 15 years so and RJ's a goofball anyway RJ wants to mess around and 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 I know they were dying to do this so I was like okay I'll give in let's do one segment of the hour As guy talk, as fun, Uh, we did a what's trending thing. You know, I I came up with that. When I'm looking at Twitter, I'm like, what are these hashtags? This is stupid hashtag stuff. And I'm like, let's pick three of these things that are trending, that are non-sports, and let's talk about them. And Gavin Spittle was a big game show guy. So Gavin would help us. Troy's very creative in that aspect as well. Let's come up with a game show to play once or twice a week. So that's how that stuff kind of started happening. What's trending? was, uh, or or we actually did the, what? guess what day it is? We started that on our show at 6.40. I was like, what are these national day things? And then we went away with that, and I think G-Bag kind of picked up on it. But that's how that stuff started. Let's do one funny segment per hour, um, and then we'll get back to the sports, and let's kind of keep that going so that four segments of our show are going to be non-sports, and we can balance it a little bit. That's how that went.
1: So you essentially forced yourself into this through yeah. content. Yeah. All right, now yeah. I I think people know this when you do a show with someone uh it's it's not always a given that you're going to have a great relationship. There are ups and downs and uh I you know I think you and RJ certainly have evolved a ton, but I I can honestly say I mean you guys and and I get the chance one of the most enjoyable weeks of the year is when we're in spring training together and it's uh, and we all are just kind of hanging out uh, and we're isolated from any other distractions, really. But, I mean, you and RJ really do get along. And, and I think you guys get along better now than you ever have. Uh, yeah. But it's just like anything. I mean, I, I love my wife. You love your fiance. But you guys are. Yeah. You, you fight. I mean, it, it happens. How have you grown? How how is, how is the marriage between you and RJ evolved? And, and I guess how proud are you? that you've been able to uh, develop this relationship with someone who in a lot of ways is a polar opposite personality wise to you?
0: Yeah, very good question. Um, You know, a lot of that credit uh, honestly has to go to RJ's personality. You know, like I'm a difficult person sometimes to uh, get along with. I'm much more temp, you know, all these things. I'm much more temperamental. Um, I'm much more likely to explode. I care about the ratings and the competitiveness of it much more uh, than choppy. Um, but I need, like, a polar opposite in that, you know? If, if RJ was um, this, this alpha male, um, high-intensity, temperamental person, we would have we long ago killed ourselves, you know? We would have we murdered ourselves. But, like, I really need RJ as an opposite because he's easygoing, He's funny. He's not sensitive. I'm way over sensitive. Um, he doesn't take anything too seriously. He's got a bigger perspective on life. You know, he's got two kids, was married, you know, a, a long time ago. So he's probably got, for RJ, it, it used to drive me crazy with RJ that I felt like he never wanted it as much as I did. And I, and I would still probably say that that's the case, but that's good for us because, RJ lets me have control. You know, I'm a total control freak. Like, I have to manipulate it. I, be, I want my head on the chopping block uh, if it goes bad, and I want my name being mentioned first if it goes good. That's just being honest with my ego. Like, I'm just being totally honest with you. And RJ, um, like, RJ is a prep monster. You know, before I would have, I would say, oh, I, I did one more story of prep. RJ doesn't want it as much. I know I'm still up at midnight for this, this 9.30 Rangers game. RJ doesn't want it as much. I have 17 interview questions prepared. RJ has eight. RJ doesn't want it as much. And I had to get over like being so resentful and thinking that we had to be equal um, in terms of prep because I judged you off prep. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys. I'm like, no, nope, won't, won't work with him. He doesn't work hard enough. No, nope, this guy sent three or four topics. I don't ever want to work with him again. No, nope, this guy's lazy. Like, I have a huge, huge standard when it comes to how much work I think you're putting in. Um, And RJ, he'll do it in different ways. RJ will go make the dumb Facebook Live video when I kind of don't want to put myself out there as much in terms of my personality. And I'm I'm fine with coming up with the extra interview questions while RJ is thinking of the dumb, funny, personal story. So RJ is a prep beast. I I guarantee you, no one in Dallas-Fort Worth. Nobody. No one... Perhaps as hard as we do for a show. And I put RJ at the very, very top, but I think RJ adjusted too. Um, I think four or five years ago, RJ's focus and concentration on the show during the course of the show, I think he was going through some personal stuff in his own life where his concentration wasn't always there. And I think RJ in the f- last four or five years has locked in and, um, and, and I recognize that. And I think that's why we are where we are today.
1: All right, last question, Sean. And I appreciate the time. I, I, I'd be remiss to not ask you about barbecue. Where did this love of barbecuing come from? Did this just kind of like was this a late in life discovery, or have you always been really kind of interested in you know, I guess the science of food? Really, because you don't just go and barbecue and throw a picture on. I mean, you're you're crowdsourcing. You're you're studying it. <laughs> I mean, this is like. You know, I work with Eric Nadell, and Eric's got this love of music, and it's, it's deeper than I think people truly realize, like his passion for it. And, and that's like the best comparison I can make to you and your love of, of barbecuing
0: and, and really food. Cooking food always, uh, but barbecuing myself is straight Texas. That's it. I didn't know anything about a big green egg before Texas. I didn't know what it, uh, what an indirect plate was before Texas. I didn't know what woods to use before Texas. Uh, and, and I looked at it, and people were – I was like, this is the way to be judged around here. Like, it, it was part love of food, part wanting to fit in, and then part competition. Like, okay, uh, you're going to be judged and looked upon how you smoke a brisket around here. So, like, let's just dive into it and see if I can make – better ribs or wings than gavin dawson which apparently i can't better than gavin dawson over too but <laughs> you know can i can i can i master this uh as something that is viewed as religion around here uh so i didn't know anything about barbecuing or how to smoke something uh, uh brisket ribs or anything else until i moved here uh i got i got i got a big green egg and then i just dove into it and i'm like i want to try to i want to try to be fantastic at this and That's where they came from, but I've always loved food, as you do.
1: Dude, that's perfect. That's it. That's all I need from you, and uh, I appreciate you uh, spending some time to chat with us.
0: Well, Sandler, thank you for the time. I really am honored uh, uh, to do this. This is kind of like my own ESPN Classic Sports Century, so I feel honored, and I want to say this. You can cut this out of the interview uh, because I, I know that you'll be embarrassed by it, but the reason that Jared and I click is because we have the, the same desire to succeed. Like, I know not to mess with him when, he's in, when, when we're in Arizona in Surprise, He is not coming home or getting ready to go out unless all his work is done. And I, and, and I really was embarrassed a little bit by my own schedule complaining about it out there because we have to get up at 3.30 in the morning and be on air at 4.30. Well, Sandler's up 30 minutes after we are. He's in the gym. And then he's coming home at 6 p.m. versus 8 a.m. because he's grinding. Uh, so you are a grinder, um, and I love knowing what makes people tick, and I respect people's uh, work ethic. No one has a higher work ethic than you. Uh, and in terms of loyalty, I will, I will spit my neck out there for anyone if I know that they're loyal to me, and no one is more loyal than Jared Sandler. So from a work ethic standpoint, uh, a, a grinder, uh, someone who's a great friend, Jared Sanders is the guy for that, and you can go ahead and cut this out of the interview, please. So thanks for having me.
1: I won't cut it out on the condition that I get to throw this last line in there. Now will you please
0: answer the phone when I call? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jared said earlier we bump heads. We don't bump heads. It's just... Uh, it's just an irritation over text that I don't respond to or calls that I don't respond to because <laughs> I'm bad with the phone and Jared just gets more and more worried and more and more anxious. That's the, o- that's the only time we go back and forth. We don't butt heads because we understand each other. Uh, and brother, I love you. Thanks for having me.
1: Love you too, dude.